things. All right, now we're going to get to the Word of God. <laughs> Yay, amen. So we're going to shift and make a pivot. If you've got a Bible, go to Nehemiah in the Old Testament chapter 1. just want to say welcome to everybody that's here this morning. We're so glad you all are here. Uh, if this is your first time, second time, third time, 20th time, 100th time, 3,000th time, we're blessed that you're here with us. If you're streaming, we're so thankful uh, for technology and that you're able to stream with us. Um, and, and be a part of our service. Uh, as Jonathan mentioned, we do have a, a Creek brunch for the Creek Bunch right after service. Uh, so hang out, you know, we'll, we'll get our grub on. Thank you for everyone that, I know like Megan was up this morning, she's serving in Oso Kids, uh, but she was up this morning making, I don't know what she was making, but it smelled delicious, sausage and eggs and I won't partake because there's cheese all over it, but that's okay. I'll let you guys, I'll save you some, okay? I'll let you eat it. But thank you for everybody that woke up and prepared food or went and bought food or whatever for Creek Brunch. We're going to enjoy it right after service, okay? And don't forget, uh, Cody and Haley are over here, and they're going to have a, a special table just for any college students or college-aged students. You don't have to be in college. Sorry if you're like 75 or 60 or 55 or you're in college in the mind, that's not the table for you. But you can come over, like I said last week, and uh, bless them and show appreciation. Uh, don't take offense. That's, you know, that's, that's not, not going to be the table for me. But that's all right. It's okay. Men, October, the Iron Men of God, men's retreat. Save those dates. What's the dates, Brother Joe? October 26th? 26th and 27th. Our goal is every man of Oso attending this retreat. It's going to be awesome. It's up in the, the, the hill country. It's the HEB camp. Dude, it's going to be amazing. Mark the time right now, guys, so that you can be there, okay? And one more thing before I read the word uh, and, and, and get to the service. Listen, um, I'm praying that God puts a vision. We're talking about a power of a godly vision. A vision for serving the least of these our children here at Oso Creek. Um, this is an ongoing need at every single church. Um, and, it, and it baffles me because Jesus says, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And when you serve kids, boy, you're serving right at the heart of Christ. And so I'm going to be praying that God puts that on, on, on people's hearts. And if you'd like to serve in the kids' ministry, come see me to right after service or this week. Let me know, all right? And we'll get you connected. Sound great? All right. Thank you, JC, for being with me. All right, appreciate that. Everybody else, I think, is asleep. Um, but I do want to pray. There was a, somebody made me know, aware of a, a 14-year-old, Aria Ruiz, who was uh, found, killed this week. And we do want to lift her and her family up in prayer, um, as well as uh, one of our own uh, OSO students, Spencer Payne, who is, is at home now, but he's on our hearts and minds of a lot of us. And I do want to spend a few moments, a few seconds just lifting these up as well for all of our students, okay? Lord, just join me in praying. God, we first off pray for this family of this 14-year-old, Aria Ruiz, and some may know this, has seen this in the news, and some it may be news to them today, but we just pray for their family for such a tragedy, God. We pray that you'd lift them up and help them, Lord. God, for, for Spencer, God, you just continue to lay your hand upon his, his little body, God, and, and he's such a tough, courageous dude, and, and we're all so very proud of him. And we just pray for him right now, God, and, and, and the road that he has in front of him. My goodness, I haven't seen such courage in a long time. Bless him and help him, God, as well as Nathan and Jade. This is being uh, Nathan's very busy season with, with Camp Zephyr. And, and we just pray for your peace, and it would settle their hearts. And you just continue to, to move in Spencer's life and help him. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, guys. Thank you. Let's read Scripture. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We've spent, this is the third week we spent just in this passage alone, and this is the last week in this passage. I promise, all right? The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem, the, the status and the state of Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So for the, last, for the past three weeks, we've been hovering in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and learning about godly vision or a God-given vision. Uh, and we've been learning this from Nehemiah and the godly vision that he received some 800 plus miles away from the city of Jerusalem while he's living in this Persian city. Week number one in this series, The Power of a Godly Vision, we talked about what a godly vision is and, and why we need one or a few in our lives, okay? Because you can have more than one. And again, remember, just for quick brevity of, of recap, a godly vision isn't just a, a mere goal. A godly vision is, is something that literally shapes your life, something that God wants to partner with you in to do great things for his kingdom and for other people. Because a godly vision, it's not going to be about you. More specifically, it's going to be about other people, all right? And a godly vision adds significance. It adds meaning to your life. It ignites your passions. It sets your direction. It reveals God's purpose for your life, and it ensures your fulfillment. And I promise you, man, when you're walking in what God wants you to do and, and, doing, and serving him in those ways, man, you are going to have a fulfillment that's unbelievable. I often tell people, especially, you know, when, when um, because when you talk about serving in children's ministry, and this is just coming to mind, a lot of times people are like, well, man, I'm going to miss out on the Sunday service. I'm, I'm not going to be fed. I'm, I'm going to miss out on being fed. Listen, if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, God had a whole tribe, okay? The whole tribe, the, 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 the Levitical priesthood, okay? The Levites, they weren't allowed to get an inheritance of land. They just served in the temple. They couldn't grow their own food, but God made sure they were fed because everybody would have to bring a portion of what they grew and, and, and parts of the sacrifices was given to the Levites. God took care of those who were serving. You see where I'm going with this? So when you serve, God's going to feed you spiritually. You will have fulfillment, okay? And so last week, minus our internet, <laughs> we talked about, you know, where a godly vision comes from, or, or, you know, more specifically, it's the means and the methods that God uses to bring about vision in our lives. And, and you can see that in the creek notes in the back of the bulletin. Um, what we talked about last week is kind of already filled out for you, and Usually we saw in verse one, they come in unexpected moments. Nehemiah had a wonderful job of responsibility, prestige. He had access to the king as a cupbearer, a very high position, 
And then God, bam, just like that, interrupted his life with a much better purpose. Sometimes God-given visions come through and from unexpected sources. We see this in verse two of chapter one, where his brother Hanani brought news after traveling for months upon months upon months on camelback in order to bring news about the state of the city of Jerusalem. God's gonna find a way to get you your vision. He will get it to you, what he wants you to do, okay? And and often your godly vision will begin as a concern. We see this in in verse two. Nehemiah asked about the city and its people. He he knew the report of when they left and, and what their commission was. And now he's like, what's the status of the city? What's the status of the people? Give me their current condition. It was a concern that he had. And then finally, you know, a godly vision can come in a crisis. And we see the crisis in verse three. And this crisis wrecked Nehemiah. The walls of the city and its gates were all still destroyed and the people were living in great danger because there's no protection and they were living in great shame because walls were everything to a city back in the Old Testament times, all right? And that was a national crisis that affected Nehemiah all the way, all the way to this king's winter residence, miles and miles and miles away from, from the city, miles and miles away. So we, we weren't able to record that service, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna work on this week, you know, doing some type of maybe like even a sit down and if, if you're interested in watching all that, we'll try to get it to you. But those are some of the ways and reasons God gives us vision for our lives. But I wanna kind of flip the coin and talk about a topic today that's just as important. And that's the second point in your creek notes, what you must do to claim your godly vision. So this is the, the how of our godly vision. First week we talked about the what and the why. Last week was the where. This is the how, all right? As we unpack this story of Nehemiah, we can learn some things. And, I, and, I, and I'm praying this is really speaking to people because I've been, for the last three weeks, I've started talking to people and somebody talked to me last, last Sunday after church about a vision. I remember talking to them about a vision that God placed in their heart last year. And everything that I said last, I said, you actually, what's going on is really exemplifying everything that I said last week because it started off small and God's, it's a concern, it's an issue, all these kinds of things. And I know God is moving in people's hearts. And so I pray, let's listen to what the Lord is telling us, amen? So we can learn four things and examine the man, you know, from, from the person that Nehemiah was, uh, as we examine him regarding how to claim and act on a vision that God places in our hearts, all right? We can learn how he reacted to the news from his brother about the state of the city, his nationality and his home people, all right? We can, we can learn from the emotion that he showed. We can learn the how of vision from Nehemiah's heart, okay? And so in spite of Nehemiah's broken heart and his overwhelming concern for his people, Nehemiah had three spiritual characteristics that that allowed his vision to be birthed in his crisis. So the first way we can claim or the how of a God-given vision is to display these three spiritual character traits. And the first one is to be sensitive to others. Greg, I'm not a sensitive guy, Greg. I'm hard, man. I got a hard shell, you know? Learn to be sensitive, okay? As I was talking about last week, if you weren't here, Nehemiah was living a good life. He was at the peak of his career. He had made it. He couldn't go any higher unless he would become the king of Persia. And he couldn't do that because he was a Hebrew Israelite, okay? So, I mean, he had made it to the top. 
He had been born while his family was in exile in Babylon. Nehemiah had never even been to Jerusalem. He never even visited the city of his, of his, of his uh, nationality and of his people, the Israelites. He was born in Babylon, and that's where he had lived for so, so many years. And so Nehemiah could have had the attitude of once he heard the, the news of the city and the people, he could have said, oh, really? After all these years, still no walls? What's going on down there? Oh, well, too bad, so sad, guys. I'm sorry, Han and I. I really wish them well. God bless you all. You know, I'll be praying for you. I will add you to my prayer list and then continue on doing what he did every day. Nehemiah didn't have to show concern whatsoever. It, it would not have changed his position or his title. It wouldn't have changed his life one bit, okay? But he was very sensitive to the plight and the cause of his brethren and the city founded by his fathers, their distress, the discouragement, the shame on his people, and so he takes it very seriously. His brethren back in Jerusalem were going through a horrible time, and he was sensitive to it. He didn't just shrug it off. He didn't dismiss it. His reaction to this news is quite incredible, and we can learn a lot from his first, this, this first character trait. So I ask you this morning, I ask you if you're watching online, are you sensitive to others around you? To others at work? To others in this church? To your family? To people around you? In, in your neighborhood? Where you hang out? People you come in contact with? Are you sensitive to others? Do you actually care and know what someone close to you or in your family, your neighbor, or your community, you know, someone sitting in the seat next to you or across the aisle here in this church, someone in your life group, what they might be going through, what they are facing right now in their lives, or are you guilty of doing what we all are so guilty of so much, we just plow through life, you know, only concerned with ourselves, our needs, we're very self-absorbed, Right? Our needs, our issues, our concerns that we're not too concerned about other people and, and not sensitive that you know, someone might need something that you can help provide. I mean, it's easy to shrug off someone's needs, right? It's easy to dismiss it. It's easy to give someone a casual religious cliche and we feel good about it, you know? I told him I pray for him, and it's you know, I'm off the hook. I don't have to do anything else, you know. But prayer is the most important thing I can do. It is, but oftentimes we just use that as an excuse, right? To to be polite, and and to just say, hey, you know, I'm really busy, and I, I hear your need, but man, I don't know what I can do, but I'll, I'll pray for you. All right. Now I'm not dismissing those that truly, sincerely take people's needs to the Lord in prayer. Praise God, we all need to do that. Even when you're somewhere and somebody's talking about a need, you say, hey, man, let's pray about it right now, and I'm going to continue praying for you. Or you see something on Facebook or someone posts a need, man. I, oftentimes I'll say, I'm stopping what I'm doing right now. I'm going to pray for you. You know what I mean? Um, but oftentimes I wonder, are we sensitive to others? There's a, a really well-known pastor and commentator. He had a radio show for years. He has now gone on to the Lord, but his name is J. Vernon McGee, and 
I like uh, a statement that he made regarding being sensitive to others' needs. He says that today the cause of Christ is in jeopardy. I wonder if those who criticize and pretend to be interested are really concerned. If the thing you are criticizing doesn't break your heart, stop it. There's too much talk and not enough tears. You're not God's messenger if the message doesn't cause you personal anguish. Anguish. Listen, we've got to be sensitive to others' needs or you might just miss your godly vision. What he's asking you to do, what he's nudging you to do, what he's pulling at your heart to do. I want to say that again for those way outside in like the back of the parking lot, okay? We got to be sensitive to others' needs or you might just miss your godly vision because you're just too concerned with this person. Why would I say that? Because remember, a godly vision, it's not really about you, it's about others. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2, chapter 4, and it's not in your Creek notes. You can write the reference down, Philippians 2, 4. I love this verse. I mean, sometimes it punches me right in the chin. You know what I mean? Like a Mike Tyson uppercut. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So be sensitive. So be sensitive. Some of you might need some sensitivity training that the Holy Spirit can bring, okay? To teach us how to be sensitive to others and his needs because the Holy Spirit will change your heart, he will. So not only do you need to be sensitive, but listen, you gotta be dependable. Be sensitive, be dependable. Look, Nehemiah didn't just wake up one day and get to the high position that he had with the king. No, I'm sure that he worked his way up doing the things he needed to do in the right way, the small things, paying attention to the small details. Nehemiah had a proven track record, you know? You don't get to the high position of being a cupbearer in in, in this kingdom, in the king's court with regular access to the king without being dependable. And the king saw that, and God also saw that Nehemiah was a dependable person. If you look over in the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25, there's a parable where Jesus shows how a master rewards his servants for their faithfulness. And the master says, great job. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. That's a parable that Jesus is using you know, to showcase our lives in Christ and how we are to be dependable and and be faithful where we are, where God has us, doing what God has us to do right now. But sometimes, what do we want? We just want the gusto, right? We want the big time. We want all the marbles. We live in a now society. Even our phones. Like, can you hear me now? I mean, if you can't hear somebody, it's like, Something's wrong in the world if I can't hear somebody on my phone, right? It's a now, 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 now society. And even spiritually, sometimes we want a vision, we want it now. We want success, we want it now. We want greater, we want better, we want it now. So preparing for this message, I was reminded of the character Veruca Salt in the OG original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? Remember her? Little brat, little brat girl. Matter of fact, she was a brat. She kept running around singing, I want it now, give it to me now. I remember even as a kid, when I watched it, I was like, dude, she is, dude, she is horrible. You know, and she was what, a rotten egg? 
That's the sound effect it made, right? You know? And there was no Waka chocolate bar for her, all right? Because she wanted it now. <laughs> Please listen to this truth. This is something that believers need to learn so much. There is always a season of growing. There's always a time of preparation with God. We see this in, in God's word. David, mighty King David, he was shepherding in the field long before being called king. Moses was sent into the wilderness as a shepherd before leading his people for years. Joshua followed Moses. As Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and, and going through the wilderness to the promised land, Joshua followed Moses for decade after decade after decade before he was called by the Lord to then lead the Israelites into the promised land. There's a long preparation there for Joshua. Gideon in the Old Testament, he was, he, he was part of the very least. He was of the least tribe. He was of the least family. And of his family, he was the least member. <laughs> Just working at what he was doing until God called him to be a, a judge and rescue his people. Joseph in the Old Testament, sold by his brothers. He was in an Egyptian prison for years, years before he finally became second in command of all Egypt. It's approximated that it took Noah 55 to 75 years building the ark before the flood came. And, and if, if you are a student of the Bible, it had not rained on the earth yet. Can you imagine that? Dude, what are you building, Noah? It's an ark. What's this for? We're going to float. <laughs> float? What are you talking about? Right? That's a long time to build something. Jesus in the New Testament, and according to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verse 23, Jesus started his ministry around the time when he was like 30 years old. That's 29 years of preparation. And just before he started his ministry, he spent 40 days of fasting and praying in the wilderness. The apostles followed Jesus for something like three years as Jesus did his ministry, learning and preparing and watching Jesus and listening to Jesus before Jesus ascended into heaven. And then they had the upper room experience in Acts chapter two. And then they began to go out and change the world and minister on their own. Guys, the typical pattern that God uses for us is that we go through a season or a time of preparation, preparation of, of learning and growing, of God moving in our lives, of shifting things around in our hearts and our lives so that then we'll be ready for when God says, okay, it's time, pull the plug on that and let's do this thing. And so what it's important, it's important to be obedient and faithful and to serve God right where you are. Like David, he was a faithful shepherd for many years before he was called to be the king of Israel. And, it, and even when Samuel anointed him as king, it was quite a while before he actually became king. He actually served in the court of the present king. He could, David could have had the idea and the attitude once the prophet anointed him as king. He could have bowed up his chest and went around and tried to take care of business. And I'm the king. I'm the king. The Lord's anointing me king now. It would have failed. He would have failed. No, God had him go through a long period before he became king. So it's important to serve God right where you are in the season and the place that he has you. Let God say of you, dude, they're dependable. 
Be faithful and dependable even in the little things. Even in the little things. It may seem like where God has you right now is mundane. It may seem like nothing's going anywhere. Just be faithful. Be dependable. And and God will move you and change you and, and do what he wants to do in your life. The last spiritual characteristic that we need to display, it's a big one. Not just be sensitive, not just be dependable, but be available. <laughs> available. How many of you heard this saying? The most important ability that God's looking for, looks for is availability. Anybody ever seen that or heard that? I tell that to people all the time. The most important ability, because people are all the time say, oh, I can't do this, I can't do it. I don't have the skill, I don't have the talent, I don't have the, the... The most important ability God looks for is availability. That's the truth. I mean, look at Nehemiah. He didn't stand around thinking, how can I help? Man, I'm too busy here in the king's court. I'm too preoccupied with sipping wine for the king and making sure he's not poisoned, you know? I'm too busy eating his soup first and saying, here you go, kingy. It's okay, man. I'm not dead, all right? I've got responsibilities. I have access. The king's appointed me over things, okay? I'm too busy at the palace. The king needs me here. Somebody else is going to have to step up and help out. My goodness, how many times do people say that at a church? Somebody else can do it. The lead pastor can do it. The children's minister can do it. The student minister can do it. That's what they're paid for, right? Somebody else, here's a need presented. Somebody else is gonna have to step up and do it because I'm preoccupied. I'm not available. We carry that sign around us all the time, all right? No, Nehemiah said, I'll go. I'll go. Later, he even went, we'll, we'll read that he went to the king to ask the king if he could leave and go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. Nehemiah left his job, one that probably so many people craved and so many people were aspiring to, and so many people wanted that job. He left it to go build walls. And here's what's pretty cool. The people in Jerusalem, they probably needed a a really skilled stone worker, someone who was a master craftsman. Nehemiah didn't seem to be any of those. He was a man of influence in the king's court. He wasn't a contractor, a stonemason. Nehemiah, he didn't have an engineering degree. God used him because he was sensitive, dependable, and he was available. So ask yourself right now in this room, streaming online, am I available if God wants to use me. Or if I already already hung the sign on my life, I'm not available, I'm too busy, I'm too preoccupied. Sorry, God, someone else is gonna have to step up and do it. Listen, you will never see your godly vision from the Lord until you're available to God. You just won't. So, So these are three spiritual characteristics, heart conditions that God's looking for, Okay. Now, real quickly, I want to pivot to four actions that we see Nehemiah did or do when he, you know, in order to claim a vision that God gives you, all right? Um, A vision for your family, your marriage, your children, your grandchildren, your church, your home, your work. I mean, visions, the community, all kinds of stuff, okay? So number two, the second point is to claim your vision. You, You have to reflect on your crisis and wait. Reflect on your crisis and wait, the W word. Believers do not like the W word. 
And I, my, my next message in this series, it's a whole message on what I'm calling the waiting game. On believers are called to wait on God. So in Nehemiah chapter one, verse four, so we learn a lot on this one verse. Nehemiah says, as soon as I heard these words about the status of his city, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. That's what Nehemiah did. He heard the crisis. And instead of just reacting and going to work immediately, he stopped. He paused. He sat down. He prayed and fasted and cried out to God. And he mourned over the condition for many days. Why is it that we feel like we have to fix everything right away? We got to get all the stray animals right now. <laughs> Let them all come in, you know. We want to feed all of the poor, all the people in foreign lands tonight, right now. I want that family member to come to Christ so bad. But I actually find myself condemning them and browbeating them, trying to get to come to Christ as, as much as I can, as fast as I can make it happen. Sometimes we want something to happen in our marriage that we do something very drastic that might not be very smart. People will quit their jobs on a day's notice for the promise of something better. Sometimes people will put family in harm's way thinking they're doing something good. Sometimes people will invest, you know, family's finances on some crazy investment or a lottery you know, thinking we're going to make big money because we think we get it now, now. This can happen now and it's going to fix everything right away. My goodness, how many ads on Facebook or Instagram do, you, do we all see every single day bombarded of get rich quick, you know, all these side hustles and things like that? It's, it's unending because we think, oh man, if this guy can make 3G, you know, I can make it, you know, it's, but it's, it's, it's crazy, right? Waiting is not something that we really want to do. No one likes to be in a holding pattern in life. Shane, you like that as a pilot? <laughs> Sorry. No one likes that. Anybody else been in a plane where it's, you know, it's like, we can't land yet, we got the towers, you know, we, I have. And you're just like, what are we doing up here? You know, I gotta get going. Nobody likes that in life, right? But many times waiting is exactly what God wants us to do, to be still, to be quiet before him, seeking him, praying, fasting, depending on him. Hear me this morning. Too often we try to take, you know, what we feel is a God-given vision, we, we try to force it to come about as soon as possible because we feel that's what God wants us to do, all right? And I've seen instances where someone has a godly vision, but they, they work on it for a little bit right away, then they give up and move on to the next godly vision. And the same story repeats itself. There's no real growth, no real fulfillment, because they don't allow God to do it in his time. But it's sad, too often we, we assume that if, if we're not moving on or moving forward or moving upward, that nothing is happening. But gang, that's just not the truth. We have to know that God is moving. He's shifting things around. He's working behind the scenes. He's putting things in place in a beautiful way, preparing it all in his time. So we have got, what we have got to do is we have got to let the Lord mature the vision in us. We've got to let him mature the vision in us. 
Just like a child has to grow and mature so that they won't be immature adults. I know there's a lot of immature adults today, all right, but for the analogy, all right. An immature God-given vision is not going to last very long or be very effective. Be very effective. For it to survive, it's got to be healthy. It's got to mature, and that takes time. And so it's okay if God has you in a waiting period or a holding zone. Again, just be faithful and dependable and available where God has you because God is working. He is preparing the way. He will continue to work. And as we'll see in the, in, in the next weeks of this series, Nehemiah continued serving the king for another four months, four months before he acted on his vision. And then it probably took months upon months upon months, as we covered last week, just to travel from Jerusalem to, to, to where he was, okay? Or from where he was to Jerusalem. But you know that he, he continued to reflect on the crisis and he would continually bring it to the Lord. I kind of feel like my own life is a good example of this. On October 16th, 2005, Megan and I and, and our two older girls, they were Tegan and Kalea's age almost at the, at the time, uh, Tatum and Kyler, we were serving as associate pastors. I was the music minister, associate pastor, was wearing a lot of hats uh, at, in New Mexico. Megan was the children's director, about 100 some kids. And uh, it's Christ Community Church in Alamogordo, New Mexico. And literally, we could have done that for the rest of our lives. Man, I had, a, I had a choir of like 40-something members. This massive band was awesome. We, had, we were in the groove. It was, it was great. It's so leading the life groups, preaching, teaching, helping out. We could have done that for the rest of our lives. But we start to feel kind of what I've been talking about the last couple of weeks, a, a pull from God, a nudge, a little push, this feeling that maybe this isn't all that God has for us. You know, up to that point, we had served in many, many, uh, many of the ministry-serving roles at churches, student pastors, children's ministers, like I said, all kinds of stuff, all right? But we began feeling as if God wanted us to take another step in ministry. Um, and as we wrestled and thought about it, we, that perhaps God was calling us to take on the role of a lead pastor position. And listen, I wrestled with that nudge and those pushes for a long time because I didn't want to do that. My dad was a, a senior a lead pastor. He still is up in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I said, no, I will not do it. I said, I'm, I'm happy to be a youth pastor. I'm happy to do worship and, and ministry and, and associate pastor. I get to preach a little here and there. I do not want to be a lead pastor. I said it for years. And when the Lord, when we started feeling this tugging and, the, and this nudging, I wrestled with it. I was like, no, God, no, no. <laughs> Because I see, I, I watched my dad. He's, he's a, my greatest mentor. But I was like, I, that's not, I don't want to, yeah, no, Lord, no, all right? <laughs> well, there was one Sunday night I preached on a Sunday, ne- Sunday night. Not a, not a Sunday need, a Sunday night. And after that service, around 9.25 p.m., we drove home. I got out of the car. There was such an overwhelming compulsion from God. I mean, I, I was feeling God moving in my heart. The Holy Spirit was moving like crazy that we pulled in the driveway. I got out of the car. I went into the house faster than Megan and, and Tatum and Kyler. I went straight to my bedroom. I didn't turn on the lights. I dropped to my knees. And right there in my bedroom, 
I told God, okay, Lord, okay. If you open the door, <laughs> okay, I'm putting it back on the Lord, all right? <laughs> if you do this, then Lord, I'll do that. I've not wanted to do this, Lord. That's not been my pursuit. But if you open the door, I'll do that, okay? So God birthed the vision for this, this ministry role in our lives in 2005. But the vision didn't really come about until November 2008. It took three years for the right position to open up and for us to move in that godly vision. You know, and I, I could have said to the, to the pastor I was serving under, another great mentor of mine, Jack Brock, who's gone on to the Lord, I could have told him that October 17, 2005. I could have went to his office and said, Pastor, God is calling me to be a lead pastor. You know, and got my pastoral voice, like, ah, you know. So, Pastor, thank you for all the time. I'm out of here. And then I, I quit my current position and take the first church that was offered and move my family. I've seen guys in ministry do that. It was not good. And some guys aren't even in ministry now. Some guys had a horrible time, all right? I could have done that and had that attitude, but that's not what God wanted. God wanted me to wait. He wanted me to grow. He wanted me and Megan to pray and seek him and for us both to grow and pray. We, we even passed up on a couple of other church openings that came available and we waited until God opened the right opportunity and the right door. And there was even a season of, of eight months, and I've, I've briefly mentioned this before, just before, it was before we knew about this position, I literally went through a season of just mental depravity. I was like losing my mind. I would take a shower and my hair would fall out. Um, it's a very scary time. Megan says that we'd be laying in bed and I'd just be shaking with like oppression from the enemy. She could sense it and feel it. It was eight months of intense spiritual warfare. And, and looking back now, I know exactly what happened. It's, it's no secret that I've, I've mentioned many times I grew up very legalistically. I, I had built all these self-righteous walls of my own works, even in ministry, and would pat myself and say, look what God's doing in me in my ministry. You know, that kind of nonsense. And so for eight months, God was like, you know what? Okay, Greg, you're on your own. See how that feels. It was the worst, most scariest time in my entire life. I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't pray. I would read the scriptures and I was like, I, it, it was, I can't even describe how intense it was. But here's the beauty of it and goes to my message. What God was doing, he was preparing me for this next step of ministry because what he actually did, he obliterated all those walls of self-righteousness and self-works and me thinking that I'm some awesome tool in the Lord's hand. He, he, as a tool, he just put me back in his tool belt. <laughs> and so why don't you sit there for a while? Because towards the end of that is when this church opened up in Northern Kentucky. And if I, thinking back now, if I would have went in with all that legalistic mindset and attitude, it just wouldn't have been good. But in God's grace and in his mercy, he deconstructed all the stuff that I had built up on my own so that I could fully understand the true meaning of grace. 
And so that I could, when I preach about grace, I know what I'm talking about. Because I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve his blessing. I don't deserve anointing. I don't deserve his favor. I deserve the Lord to go, bing! <laughs> Just like that, okay? But praise God, he, he allowed me to go through that tough time. He prepared me. He gave us the vision years ago. But he prepared, 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 sent me through the washing machine a few times and the dryer and stuck me out to dry. And then I was ready. Praise God. And so the Lord had to mature that vision in Megan and I, okay? But I knew I had to be faithful where I was. And I even told the pastor, God's pulling, he's tugging on us, he's letting us know this. But we will serve, I told the pastor, Brock, I said, we will serve faithfully until God moves us. You can count on that. We will do what we're called to do here. You can trust us until God calls. And that's what we did. And there were times in those years where we questioned, God, what's going on? When? But we knew God was working. We just had to be sensitive, dependable, and available and be faithful to where we were and to grow, okay? There will be times when God, he wants immediate action, right? But that's not the normative that I've viewed. It's not really the normative in the Bible. A lot of time God wants us to mature the vision in us, okay? So the, the third point is to claim the vision, you have to do what Nehemiah did in verse four, release your emotions. Yeah, guys, we're talking about emotions, okay? Hang with me, guys. In the first week, I talked about how a God-given vision ignites your passion. Um, we read in verse four that Nehemiah felt the weight of the situation. He carried it to Jesus. He wept, cried, fasted, mourned. He didn't put on a happy face. He didn't fake it, fake it to make it. No, this was a broken man who was suddenly consumed with this need. First Peter chapter five, verses six through seven, the apostle Peter writes, God will exalt you in due time if you humble yourselves under his mighty hand by casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. See, so, so you don't, you, you, deep down, you don't keep crisis to yourself all bottled up. You release your emotion to God. You release the weight as well. We see this in Bible characters all over the scriptures, how they cried out to God. Hagar in the Old Testament, Hannah in the Old Testament, David in the Psalms, Job, how even Jesus cried out on, before he was crucified. So many When's the last time maybe you just really cried out to God? That's what Nehemiah did. God, these are your people. They're unprotected. They're in danger. Other nations are making fun of them. Things are hard for them. You're their only hope, God. You cry out. You, you, you bring it to the Lord. You bring the situation to him. Birth of division is much like giving birth to a baby. There's pain and emotion, and you've got to feel that weight, okay, and release that to the Lord. You can only claim your vision after you've felt its burden of it, okay? What, what have you wept over? What, are, what have you cried over? The want or the need? When is the last time you've cried out to God regarding who or what he's placed on your heart, okay? That leads me to my last, uh, next point. We see Nehemiah praying and fasting before God in verse four. He says, I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah knew that God was in control. We have to realize that overall as well. Number four, realize that God is in control. 
That's who uh, Nehemiah made his appeal to, our sovereign and supreme Lord. Because God is sovereign. He's in control of all of it. Wait on him. He will bring it to pass. I mean, everybody is, is concerned or burdened about something. So how do you know what, what's just a, a good idea and what is specifically from God? Is it just a good thing or is it, is it really a godly concern? Because look, I, I get concerned and burdened with Notre Dame football, Indianapolis Colts. Some of you guys are way overburdened by your cowboys, all right? And you have reason to be burdened, okay? So do I, all right? So do I, I'm gonna say. But that's not really a godly vision. Here's how you know. It's simple when it, how you know it's from God. You just can't leave it alone. You can't ignore it. You feel as if there's more to do, more for you to do. And you are gonna wanna take action. You're gonna wanna do something. I know many of you wanna call Jerry Jones and tell him how to run the team. That's not what I'm talking about. Sorry, John, ladies. Sorry. You want to do something. It compels you. you know, over the last few weeks, we talked about, you know, uh, Agape Ranch, how it started. We talked about the Ecuador mission trip, uh, Dr. Rafa and the medical clinic, you know, and beautiful feet last week. That, that's how these things are. You, it's, it, it's a concern. You're like, I've got to do something about it. Like we said in the first week, what might be, must be. What might be, must be. Jake, if you and the team want to come on up. And you'll realize that what this is, what's on your heart, it lines up with what God is doing and that your vision fits in with his vision. Because listen, gang, divinely inspired visions are in some way, they're all tied into God's master plan. Whether it's loving your wife or your husband or investing in your kids or your grandkids or your neighbor's kids, or it's fostering or adopting or sponsoring a child through Compassion Internet, like that we, did, we, we had that Compassion Sunday a couple weeks ago, or witnessing to your neighbor, or ministering in the church, or taking care of someone that's elderly, or starting a company, or starting a nonprofit, a community action, mentoring someone, whatever it is. Each divinely placed vision has a link to God's bigger picture. You and I are small pieces to God's big puzzle, gang. Sometimes I think we forget about that. We get so preoccupied with me and my life and plowing through, and it's all about, no, 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 you're a, a, a piece of God's puzzle, the big picture. Ephesians 2.10 Apostle Paul writes, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's already prepared good works for you to walk in them. You and me, those that are called by Christ. You and I do not have the right to lead a uh, God-visionless life. A visionless life from God. No, God has a unique vision just for you. Your, your marriage, your kids, your work, your action, your involvement. What we need to do is pray and feel and listen to the Holy Spirit and find it and flourish. If you miss it, you might miss a great tragedy. And so the very last thing I want to talk about before we, we're going to take communion, and this is actually the most important thing regarding claiming your godly vision is this. Number four, get in his word. Get in his word. 
When you read Nehemiah's prayer, verses 5 through 11 in chapter 1, we're not going to read it, but you're going to find out, you'll see that he references God's covenant that was given, and six times he references God's word, God's rules, God's statutes, his instructions, and his commandments in prayer. That shows that Nehemiah knew about God's word and his instructions and his statutes and his covenants. Nehemiah was a man all about God's word. And gang, this is all about God's word, how it speaks to us all right now, right where we are, how much we need it, and how a God-given vision has to be shaped by God's word. I just got shot, bro. How about that, son? Yeah. Lord, was that you? I mean, what's going on here? I did. I stepped on that wire. Woo. I felt it. I've got metal in my sternum. Maybe that's what it is. All right. All right. A godly vision has to be shaped by God's word, gang. Listen, if your vision isn't shaped and molded and founded on God's word, guess what? It's not a godly vision. It's not a godly vision. And so as as I close this morning, I want to, we're going to take communion. And and if those that are going to serve, if you'll come up and take your place now, if you would, thank you. You know, a lot of times we can get so distracted and we miss God's words. Just like this. there's an illustration. There's a Native American who's visiting his cousin in, in, in New York City. And as they're walking, there's people everywhere. All of a sudden, the Native American said, I hear a cricket. And his cousin's like, what? All this bustle and hustle of the city? You hear a cricket? And he's like, yeah. And so they searched around for it and he found it and he picked it up. Well, the cousin who lived in the city was like, that's amazing, man, I can't believe it. And he, he put his hands in his pocket and when he pulled it out, he accidentally dropped some change that was in there and as it hit the sidewalk, clink, 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 like everybody around there stopped, looked around, looked around. And, and so the, uh, his, his, the Native American looked up to his cousin and said, see, people hear what's important to them. Are we listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit? What are you hearing? Are you listening to his still small voice? And I pray may it be God's voice, God's vision, God's best for your life. Because Proverbs 29, 18 says, without a vision, the people perish. So I invite you guys, let's take communion this morning. I'm gonna, I'll serve in the middle and then come take your elements and, and then... We will, I'll read scripture and then we can take the communion elements together as, as Jake and them play and sing. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Lord, move on our hearts. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you as their Savior and your Lord, that, man, today would be the, the day that they'd say yes to you and they'd choose to follow you, Lord. Lord, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans, the book of Romans in the New Testament, that if someone confesses that you're their Lord and Savior, Jesus, with their mouth, a verbal acknowledgement, and they believe in their heart that God raised you from the dead, there's heart, faith, and belief in the heart, Paul writes, then they'd be saved. And so I pray that there's someone here that, that's before they take communion, because Lord, the Apostle Paul writes in the this letter to the Corinthians that before we do this to let a person examine themselves. And so Lord, if someone is here and they're not in the faith, they've not said yes to you, Lord, let them do that right now. 
Say, Lord, wash me, forgive me. I I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead for me and I give you my life. I want to live for you. I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. And Holy Spirit, speak to all of our hearts today. Those here, those online, speak to our hearts. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to hear your whisper, Lord. Help us not to be so distracted with busyness of life. And Lord, I'm so guilty just as well as anybody. Help us not to get so busy and consumed with our own pursuits that we fail to stop and hear you for what you would have us do for our our marriages, our kids, grandkids, our church, our, our community, our world, wherever. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning, they're in this waiting, holding, Lord. Holy Spirit, give them encouragement to just trust you, to depend upon you, Lord, to allow you to mature that vision in them, God, in that season that you've got them in, Lord, and they would grow and you would allow, and they would allow you to move in their heart and life, I pray. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 19 through 20, says, And Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we trust you. We dedicate our lives to you. We give everything to you, Lord. Bless us, I pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's sing this song before we do Creek Brunch. Pastor Jake and the team, if you go lead us today. Amen.